I think my struggle kind of came down to, I know that God is good. I'm just not sure he's good to me. And the problem with that is that I equated his goodness with what I decided was good. I didn't in any way believe that no, you can't have children could be good. Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chapel, and I'm so glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with author and writer, Glenna Marshall. Today, we'll be talking about the topic of infertility and Glenna's new book, The Promise is His Presence, Why God is Always Enough. We'll discuss the disappointment of deferred hope the doubts that arise when God leaves couples barren, and how the promise of God's presence offers those who struggle with infertility hope and help in the midst of their heartbreak. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Glenna Marshall is married to her pastor, William, and lives in southeast Missouri, where she tries to keep up with her two energetic sons. Glenna writes frequently about suffering, biblical literacy, and God's faithfulness. Hey, Glenna, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Your new book, I just finished reading it, it's called The Promise is His Presence, Why God is Always Enough, and it offers readers a peek behind a decade-long period of intense suffering, which really for you included chronic pain, infertility, and church hurt. Would you provide us some backstory about those trials and how, as time passed, the Lord was able to really awaken you to the promise of His presence in the midst of pain and heartbreak? Sure. I would say that the infertility started first. I, that was something my husband and I began dealing with about our, really after our first year of marriage, we started trying to have a family and then ran into difficulties and then medical testing and all of the things that go along with that. And we're living with that for several years uh, before we got into church ministry. We actually moved to another state for my husband to pastor a church and walked into a situation that was really would have been difficult for any person that walked in to pastor a church. They'd had a pastor for 30 years. The church was really hungry for something new, something different. And we came in being pretty naive about what ministry should look like. We were young, 24 and 27, and we're ready to just kind of take the local church by storm. And it did not go well for any of us. And we spent many years just dealing with problem after problem after problem in ministry. Some of the things Things were problems that we walked into having no idea that these things were waiting for us when we arrived and some things we brought with us. And, you know, it's the church is messy on the on the best days and it was really messy on the worst days. And so dealing with infertility, dealing with church ministry, that was really difficult. And then I um, in the middle of some of the really toughest days of ministry, I began to have 
physical symptoms of um, some kind of illness. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was stress related and they just built up and built up and built up until I was dealing with a full known, a full blown disease. I didn't know what it was and it took six years to get a diagnosis and it actually was triggered by stress. I did not know that at the time. It makes a lot of sense now. But those overlapping trials, you know, one right after the other, and then kind of just all sharing a timeline sent me to the scriptures in desperation. I feel like I looked everywhere for some kind of hope. You know, would a child give me hope? Would a successful church ministry give me hope? Would healing give me hope? But I couldn't fix any of the problems, I couldn't make them better. And so, in desperation, I went to my Bible every morning looking just for some kind of hope. And it really was in that searching of scriptures that the Lord, I felt like he almost took, it was like he took a highlighter to my Bible and just began highlighting the theme of his presence throughout scripture. I just began to see it everywhere. And then I couldn't unsee it anymore. And I, it just changed the way I view scripture. And I thought, if God has promised to be with his people, if the promise is not, you know, an alleviation of suffering or removal from suffering, but the promise rather is that he is with us in it, that's a promise I can hold on to. I don't have a guarantee. I can't find a guarantee in scripture that this side of heaven, I'm going to be removed from my suffering. I absolutely have a guarantee that the Lord is with me. And that was a huge comfort to me. It took a lot of years to get to where that was a comfort, but I think the overlapping nature of those trials together really solidified that, okay, if God is with me, then I am exactly where I need to be. I may not get out of this season, but he has to be enough. He just, he has to be enough. And he was. I really resonate with what you said about how it took you a while to really grab onto that conclusion of God's presence being enough, you know, because it is part of Christian maturity and the process of growing in Christlikeness is growing in our ability to trust God and what he says and that his presence will be sufficient to get us through even when things are not making sense or not going our way or we have these deferred hopes that, you know, we really want to have happen in our lives and they just aren't coming together. And it really sounded like when I was reading your book that one of those deferred hopes is the topic of infertility. And you had gotten a diagnosis of endometriosis, which really made your prognosis of getting pregnant poor. But it sounded like initially it wasn't absolutely impossible to get pregnant. It was just not very likely. And so you had that hope of, well, maybe maybe it might happen. And you write in the book about pulling out negative pregnancy tests out of the garbage to double check and see if somehow you had missed that second pink line, which would indicate a positive result. Would you help us understand the experience of suffering from such a devastating condition, the endometriosis, and just the constant disappointment of that negative test in your hands? What were the doubts that you had about God and his faithful care during those raw moments? I was diagnosed with endometriosis several years after finding out I wasn't going to be able to have children. And for, for a long time, we knew what some of the problems were, but not what all of the problems were. And so at the beginning, we were told it's not impossible. It's just really unlikely. And sometimes I tell people, I wish that that doctor had told me it is impossible because it might have saved mm -hmm. me years of false hope. And I mean, it's been 15 years since that doctor said that to me. And I still struggle with that little bitty strand of hope that sometimes I wish would just be snuffed out completely. And I remember the years of, yes, pulling pregnancy tests out of the trash can, just 
hoping that I had missed something. And I think that every month that hope was renewed, whether I wanted it to be or not. And then every month it was crushed. So I felt like I lived my life in two week increments. So for two weeks, I would be cautiously hopeful, then really hopeful. And then two weeks, I would be utterly devastated. And that really was the way that I lived my life for many years. So it was just, it was a roller coaster of hope and despair, hope and despair, back and forth, back and forth. And that at times made me feel just a little unsettled. I just, I wanted something constant that wasn't so back and forth. And yet I still wanted the hope, you know, because as long as there was hope, then there was a chance that I could get pregnant. So then later when I received a diagnosis of endometriosis and realized what a wreck my body actually was in, it helped me to understand it, but it also renewed my frustration because I had an explanation for this real crippling pain that I was dealing with on a regular basis. And I would struggle with the physical pain and know the whole time, not only is this physically painful, this pain right here is preventing me from having children. And that was, was hard to swallow. Like it, it would be, it, it would be tough enough just to be told you can't have children. But then when you dealt with pain every month, it was just a reminder. Oh, not only can you not have children, it's also going to hurt really bad. Mm -hmm. And so I think that during that time, I questioned why I, I believed God could I believed he could give me a child miraculously. I've read all of the stories in scripture about barren women. I knew that he could. I really struggled with why he wouldn't. And so I think my struggle kind of came down to I know that God is good. I'm just not sure he's good to me. And the problem with that is that I equated his goodness with what I decided was good. I didn't in any way believe that, no, you can't have children could be good. Mm -hmm. And that I think is difficult to swallow when you are um, struggling with infertility. And yet God can do so much good with a no he just can. And I can say that now, you know, all of these years removed from it, but I struggled to believe that back then. Well, there was something you wrote in the book that really struck me because I, you know, infertility is not a struggle that I have had in my life, but you wrote that infertility is not the death of one dream. It's the death of many dreams. And that statement just really stood out because I'm not sure that's a perspective that many of us have when we care for our friends who are struggling in that way, or perhaps even if we are the woman or the man trying to cope with it, there seems to be a real grief that's involved, a loss of something that we so long for but never get. Can you expand on that statement and share some of the ways that you attempted to self-soothe in response to God withholding your deepest desires? Yeah, when when the doctor told me it was unlikely that I would have children, I remember thinking, okay, I have to reimagine my entire future because I just wanted to be a mom. I wanted to have kids, I wanted to have a house full. I am sitting there with this news that no, you're actually not going to have any children. So I have this future that seems like it's just been emptied of its contents. And that means not just no child, but no children. And that probably means no grandchildren. And that means a future just stretching out in front of you. And it felt just like a big, empty void. And so it wasn't just the death of one dream. It was the death of 
the dreams of all the children and grandchildren I'd hoped to have and the family legacy I had hoped to have. And I remember sitting in the doctor's office years later, uh, we had had some additional testing, just trying to fill out all of our options. And I was with a different doctor. And I remember talking through my struggle with just, I, I was angry. And she sat down in a chair and she pulled up next to me. We were sitting knee to knee. And she said, Glenna, I have to tell you, studies show that the grief that a patient struggling with infertility experiences on this scale is similar to what a patient with terminal cancer experiences. And that is because there is hopelessness involved. And so she said, you're sitting here and you're crying and you should be because this is a difficult diagnosis. It is a grief that should be grieved. And I so appreciated that she said that to me because it helped me to understand it's the hopelessness that mm -hmm. I'm struggling with. It is the emptiness in front of me. And so, you know, during that time, I did not self-soothe well. I was bitter. I walled myself off from all of my friends who were having children. I was in my 20s. All of my friends were having babies and growing their families. And I would watch my friends, you know, get married, start their families, have more children, and then complete their families. And then I'm still sitting there with no children. And I really struggled with bitterness through that time. I, I was jealous and sad and angry and a little bit of a shell of a person. You were just mentioning about your relationships being impacted and kind of walling yourself off of fellowship with others. And earlier in our conversation, you were explaining the difficulties that you had in transitioning to the new church. How did your struggle with infertility affect your ability to fellowship at that new church with women your age? Did you share your struggle to become pregnant with friends or with the church members? And did they offer any particular helpful or unhelpful advice to you? Yeah, you know, moving to a new town and a new state and a new church, I knew no one. And so I didn't initially share our struggles with infertility. But then once I did, I, I got kind of the typical responses I'd gotten back home. You know, oh, you're young or it will happen or just keep hoping. But I knew how poor my prognosis was. And so those things were not comforting to me because deep down I wanted a guarantee and I knew no one could give it to me. And so all the sort of platitudes that were offered to me were not comforting, although they were well-intentioned. That has helped me understand how to relate to others who are going through times of suffering to not speak those things off the top of my my head because they aren't usually helpful. I can't guarantee someone the outcome that they desire. But I remember there was one lady at church who I was able to confide in, and she was so kind to ask me regularly how I was doing. And every Mother's Day, she wrote a card and handed it to me in the church foyer. She knew how much I hated Mother's Day because it felt like this big, huge spotlight on what I lacked. And I was the only person at church who struggled with infertility. Everyone that wanted children had them. And so I hated the holiday, but my husband was the pastor. I had to come to church. But every Mother's Day for several years, she would slip a card into my hand. And every year it was just such a kind acknowledgement that I know this is hard for you and I'm just sorry. And I am praying for the Lord to answer your prayer. And I can't tell you how comforting that was to me just to be acknowledged by someone. And I didn't need a lot of attention. I just, I wanted someone to acknowledge that it was hard and to tell me they loved me and were praying for me. That was really all I needed. And it was such a gift. 
I really resonated with your statement at the introduction of your book, where you say that you kept reading from the scriptures, searching for the secret answer to your troubles, but you felt that the search was time poorly spent. Sometimes in our desperation, it seems almost as if our very Bibles turn a cold shoulder to us. And I know I've personally experienced that. We go and we search and we don't know what we will find, if anything at all, but we're just desperate for a word or a sign or something to hold on to and it just doesn't happen. We get no new news. There's no new glimmer of hope. Why do you believe it is important for those who are experiencing similar circumstances to continue to spend time in the scriptures, even when they walk away dry and seemingly no better for the time spent? I love this question because I don't know of a Christian who has lived, who hasn't lived through a time of maybe spiritual dryness, or if they're going through a trial where they open their Bible and just think, this is useless. Like nothing is helpful to me right now. I think every Christian at some point in their walk with Christ experiences this probably more, more than once. And I know I have, I think that it's so vital to keep coming back to the scriptures because this is the inspired word of God. I love the passage in Deuteronomy that this is no empty word, but your very life. And so even on the days where we read and we feel like we are walking away, completely forgetting what we've read, this is the inspired word of God. And we, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we absorb more than we think we do. And it is never wasted time to open your Bible and look at the good character of God. And so I think that even when it feels useless, it feels like plotting, it feels like we're just doing this just to, you know, punch a time clock for our Bible study or whatever, or we're doing it looking for some answer and knowing that we're not finding the one that we want, we still get what we need from the word. God has given us maybe not everything we want to know, but he has certainly given us everything that we need to know. And so we, it's important to keep going to the word. And I would suggest when we go and we're looking for some kind of answer or solution and we don't find it, I would suggest turning that a little and asking a different question of the text and asking, what do I learn about God's character? And this is what I did during my really difficult years of infertility and church hurt and chronic pain. I asked that question of the text and I went through several books of the Bible doing that and just wrote everything down with a pen and a spiral notebook. And that practice, it took me a couple of years and slowly, I feel like the Holy Spirit just took the word of the Lord and just ran it down deep into my heart. And I, it changed the way that I thought instead of navel gazing all the time and focusing solely on what was wrong with my life. It was like, it was like the Lord was lifting my chin and saying, no, look at me, look at me. And when I did that, I could see though my circumstances were hard, God faithful and kind and holy and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in mercy and steadfastly, faithfully present with me. And I know this sounds like a cliche, but it absolutely changed my life. In what ways do the scriptures speak to life wrought with barrenness? You touched on it a few minutes ago about the scriptures have stories of women who were unable to conceive, uh, perhaps for only a season. Was there a particular story in the Bible that ultimately ministered to you in your bitterness and resentment about God's plan for making you physically unable to bear children? Yes, 
I think that when you talk to other Christians about infertility, they're quick to offer, you know, stories of Hannah or Sarah or Elizabeth. And I totally get that. Those are very hopeful stories. But when you read a story like Hannah in 1 Samuel, Hannah's child was given for a very specific reason in the history of Israel. He was the prophet and who would prepare the way for the king of Israel, uh, eventually King David, from whose line would come our savior, Jesus. And so I read those stories and I think, okay, I know that God answered her infertility with a child. That's not a guarantee that that's going to happen for me. This is not like a prescriptive text. This is a story that happened for a very specific reason in the history of Israel. And so I think it's easy to like jump to those stories as being very hopeful. And, And like I said, my problem was never that God couldn't. I always thought he could. I didn't understand why he wouldn't. So really the things that minister to me were things like uh, Paul's passage in 2 Corinthians 12, where he talks about his thorn in the flesh, the thing that he prays and pleads for God to remove from him. And God doesn't. He does not answer Paul's prayer in the way that Paul desires it. And so Paul's eventual response is, you know, this is what the Lord said to me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, and this is just crazy, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with the weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Passages like that, where our weakness is not denied, but rather the vessel that God uses to make his name great, that ministers to me in barrenness and infertility, because it reminds me that this side of heaven, my desires will not be perfectly answered in the way that I want them to. The answer I need to all of my desires will always be God himself, will always be his presence. It will always be for his name to be made great. And so those passages are much more comforting to me. I think of Job, where he has the conversation with God after all of his unhelpful friends speak up for many, many chapters. Then he has this long conversation with God. And, you know, in an answer to the why of Job's suffering, we have this beautiful description of God's sovereignty and his power and his authority. And I find that to be so comforting because I can rest in the fact that whatever suffering comes to me, it has been filtered through the kind hands of the Lord, and I can trust him with that. You know, a lot of these truths, you know, they're true, but they're also really difficult to cling to in the moment. Deferred hope, infertility, any kind of chronic prolonged suffering ends up being a battle of the mind to some degree. And one of your chapters, you actually unpack what I think is a very common train of subconscious thought that we ride in when we are in pain, whether it's physical or emotional. You write, pain is true. God is true. But pain is also a liar that tells me God isn't true, or that if he is true, he definitely isn't good, or that if he is good, he definitely isn't good to me. How can someone finding themselves in this disorienting place begin to write this kind of flawed logic? I remember the days of living with that thought. I was dealing with a new disease, not the endometriosis, but one that presented itself later. It's a disease I now know has a name. It's called ankylosing spondylitis. It's a very painful, uh, chronic pain condition that affects the spine. And 
I remember being up most hours of most nights and I would sit on my couch propped on heat packs and ice packs and there was Tylenol and I, there was nothing else I could do to address the pain. And I remember feeling like I'm unsettled. I I'm panicking. I, I'm not sure how to reel my thoughts in because I don't think that God is being good to me in this. How can pain be good? And so that is again, where going to the scriptures was the answer that I needed. I would sit with my notebook and I would make two columns. This is what I feel to be true. Now I'm going to go to scripture and let scripture tell me what is true. Because if I start with my circumstances and I just look at the pain and I just look at the sorrow and I just look at the childlessness, then that tells me that God is not very good or not good to me, or he loves me like he loves an extended family member that he has to love, but doesn't really want to, you know, like these things that are not really true. But when I look at my circumstances, that's what I think. So I couldn't start there. I had to start with what is absolutely true, which is the word of God always. And that is why the scriptures are our authority. We have to start with what God says is true about himself. So I would make columns in my notebooks. This is what I feel is true. This is what God says is true. And that helped me reframe the way that I looked at my circumstances. The way that I looked at my pain could then be viewed through the lens of, yes, this hurts. Yes, this is hard. But God is good and God does love me and he has not abandoned me. So then I would arrange those thoughts. Then God must use this for his glory. And I have to trust that he will. Well, the book really seems to be a culmination or if I might say a fruit of this decade long period of suffering in a variety of different ways. The infertility, the chronic pain, the church hurt. Would you tell us about the difference between the faith of Glenna Marshall present day and the faith of Glenna Marshall at the beginning of her infertility journey? Looking back, in what ways has Jesus and his gospel proven to be your truest and best source of hope and help? Oh, Glenna Marshall of all of those years ago is such a different person, and I'm so thankful. I mean, I was younger and immature in my faith, and it was untested. Infertility truly was the first hard thing in my life that I'd ever really dealt with, and I was surprised by anything hard, which, you know, Peter tells us in his epistle not to be surprised by trials as if something strange is happening to you. Apparently, I skipped that verse, but <laughs> I... I, I was surprised by it, so I didn't know how to handle it. And I look back and I think of the ways that I defined God's goodness back then. And I would have said, well, look at my life. It's so great. You can tell God is good to me. But God is good regardless of how our dreams or our desires go or don't go. He is good because it is his nature to be good. And so I'm really thankful that God took me through those seasons. Now, I do not want to relive them. They were very hard, but I'm thankful that he is wise and sovereign and capable, and he can use those circumstances to teach me what I needed to learn about his character. Because I think that if I had not walked through them, I would still probably be floating along on this, oh yeah, I'm blessed. Look at my life. Everything's great. God really loves me which is not a great and helpful way to think about your life or God's faithfulness. Um, I am thankful for the trials that he took me through because I needed to learn to look to him 
to stop looking and defining his character by what was happening, whether it was good or bad. I needed to define his character in the way that he defines his character. And so taking me through those trials, kind of dragging me through them, took me to the Bible and just, I had to hold on for dear life. And I'm so, so thankful because I can look at the work that God did through Christ at the cross and redeeming me and saving me from my sin. I mean, more than I needed children or health or healing or even a successful ministry, I needed to remember that I was dead and he made me alive in Christ. And that is a miracle. And so going to the scriptures just helped reorient me to what was actually true. So quit looking at the things that you think are good or bad and maybe are good or bad, but don't define God's character by those things. Let him tell you who he is through his word. If there is someone listening today who is dealing with infertility, would you share some tips they can put into practice once they're done listening to this episode? Maybe some practical steps for attending to their spiritual needs during this season of vacillating between expectation and disappointment, as well as some practical steps for attending to their physical needs? Yes, I would say for the spiritual needs, you have to immerse yourself in scripture you will not make it any other way. And I can say that there were years that I did not go to the scriptures. And those were my bitter, cold, hard years. When the Lord kind of used that to crack open and show me my desperation for him, that is really when healing began by going to the word. And so I would say immerse yourself in scriptures and go to the Psalms because as I'm sure you've probably discussed on this podcast many times, the Psalms <laughs> give us the best language for grief, for lament, for confusion, for anger, all of these ways that we can express our emotions through the Psalms. God has given us the language of prayer through the Psalms. And so we can read them, study them, pray them, let the Lord, he's given you a way to grieve what is hard. So do that before him, knowing that he knows your heart. He knows it better than you do. And I would say to find someone that you can trust to talk with about your infertility, and it may or may not be your spouse. I mean, my husband and I talked ad nauseum about infertility for all of these years. My husband's a very much a great communicator and always wants to talk things out. And I know that's not everyone. And, uh, but I needed to have some friends that I felt like were safe for me. And honestly, they ended up being women who were ahead of me in life. It was easier to have that person not be someone who was going to get pregnant you know, in the middle of our discussions, it was someone who was my mother's age or, you know, uh, 10, 15 years ahead of me in life. And, you know, I would say too, just for the physical needs, you know, avoid triggers. Like I avoided the, the baby section at Target for many, many years, but there were also things I avoided that did not help me in my relationships. And some of those things were skipping out on baby showers or not holding a friend's baby or not calling when a friend had a baby, not calling right away. And in theory, those things kind of fall into the self-care category. And I understand the need to avoid triggers, but I also know this many years removed from it that is not going to help you in your relationships to hold people at arm's length until you get what you want, because you may never get what you want. And then you end up with no one around you, no friends, no family. You've isolated yourself completely from relationships. And so avoid triggers where you can, but not at the expense of relationships and not at the expense of loving others more than you love yourself. And I learned that the hard way. I remember a season where I had to write a lot of letters of repentance to 
sisters in Christ whose only crime had been to have children when I couldn't. And I regret it. And so I, I wish that if I could go back and relive those days, it would be, yes, avoid the triggers that make me sad for no reason. You know, don't go through the baby section <laughs> at Target if you don't have to. But don't avoid loving your sister in Christ just because she has something that you don't. I don't think that that is the way that Jesus would respond to that situation either. Those are really great suggestions and I think just super insightful. Thank you also just for being vulnerable and sharing and sharing that last bit there um, because I think that that's not one I've heard before. And so I hope that that's helpful to someone listening today. Well, we are just about out of time for this show, but I want to give you the opportunity to do something I ask every guest to do, which is to talk directly to the audience. Now, there may be someone who is listening to this episode who currently struggles with infertility. They know the heartbreaking disappointment when hopes are dashed and pregnancy tests are negative. They've sat in the doctor's offices and explored options of conceiving and have wrestled with taking next steps. Maybe they're angry at God and taking every possible means into their hands to try to correct the situation to produce the desired outcome. Worst of all, maybe they're feeling hopeless, like life isn't worth living, or at least it's not worth living joyfully if they cannot have what seems to be like such a basic human desire. What would you say to that person to help them take courage and trust that God's presence is enough, no matter what the future holds? I'd say, first of all, you need to remember that the Lord sees you. Because infertility feels in some ways like a very private struggle because you get into whether it's medical appointments or people talking to you about, hey, have you tried this? It's a very delicate topic because it does infringe upon your personal life and your relationship with your spouse. So if there's a lot of women who don't get to talk about this with others or a lot of husbands who feel uncomfortable talking about it with another man. So know, first of all, that the Lord sees you and he knows very well what you are experiencing. And remember that he also loves you and that as we're told in the Psalms, that he doesn't withhold any good thing from his children. So it seems maybe like he is withholding from you the one thing that you want. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good desire to want to have children. You're not asking to be wealthy or famous. It's, it's a good desire to just want to have a family. Know that that, that is a good desire and if the Lord is saying no, you can trust him with his no, because I love to, I love John Piper's quote here and I'm going to butcher it, but God is always doing 10,000 things at once in your life. And you may be aware of three of those things. I love that because we can't see the full picture. We can't grasp with our minds God's sovereign plan for you. And your infertility doesn't just affect you. I remember the day I saw my son's face for the first time in a hospital in another state, a child I did not give birth to. And I looked at him and I remember thinking, this is why God said no, because this was what he had for me. And it didn't just have to do with me. It had to do with a child from another place, from another mother. And his purposes, God's purposes spanned so much farther than my own personal little desire to have what I wanted. So I would say to you, hold fast to the belief that God is faithful to you, that he loves you, that he is with you, that he has not abandoned you, and that he sees your pain. 
and turn your face to him as often as you can so that you can continue to believe it. Speak the words of the Lord back to him over and over as you read them, not because he needs to be reminded, but because you need to be. Well, thank you so much for sharing those encouragements. I teared up a little bit there with you (laughs) on that part. It's just a a really amazing uh, testimony that you have and that you've shared in your book. And so I want to let the audience know, where can they connect with you? You've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got another book coming out spring of next year. You are a busy bee. So why don't you go (laughs) ahead and share with the audience where they can connect with you to learn more about your ministry and your writing. Sure. The best place to go is my blog, which is just glennamarshall.com. And there are lots of links and tabs. I mean, I blog somewhat regularly and there's a, a page there dedicated to all the information about my book, The Promises is Presence, which does release on August 1st. And it's been really fun just to watch this unroll. I, I finished it earlier this year, the last round of edits, and then immediately shifted gears to finish another manuscript that's coming out next year. And yes, I have felt very busy. My blog though is probably the best place to find me. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Glenna D. Marshall and on Facebook at Glenna Marshall. Well, thanks again so much, Glenna, for taking time out of your super busy schedule to chat about the book and your journey through infertility. I really hope that today's conversation was a blessing to someone who is walking walking that path and, and hopefully they've received some hope and help here today. So thank you. Thank you. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Glenna's book and website. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could benefit from listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.